I'm excited that you're here. Uh, my name's Danny. This is uh, Pastor Tom. He's our executive pastor at the church. Uh, we have been doing the very best we can to kind of update you guys a, about a monthly basis on where we are at with uh, the, uh, the downtown campus and the move and all that's going on there. So I would like you guys to give Tom a warm welcome. Uh, this is going to be, go ahead, Pastor Tom. I would like that. I would like you to uh, recognize we're going to be pretty authentic here and, and really transparent. We're going to give you some real numbers. Uh, if you're new to the church with us, uh, this is not something we do all the time, but there is a lot of moving pieces at our church right now, and the best way we know to uh, communicate to everybody is to uh, just kind of keep, keep it out there and keep it authentic and uh, transparent. So, uh, Pastor Tom, take it away. Thanks, Danny. Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, just going to dive right into it. Um, there's a, um, so I'm going to start with October general funds. So this is, this is not the building fund, but this is just our general giving for the month of October. I want to report that we received $63,000 in for general fund. And that is, um, one of our record months for this year. So we praise the Lord for that. And if you guys paid attention to your bulletins, you can see that, that just, through October, we've met our entire year giving goal. So in 10 months, we met what we thought we would do in 12 months. So praise the Lord for that. That's so awesome. It does not mean to stop giving. A amen, Danny? Yeah, I, I mean, you know. <laughs> that, that's all you got? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you stop giving, no. No, no, no. Not, no, no, I wouldn't. It's, it's yeah. really a huge blessing. It's the first time it's ever happened in the history of the church. So I actually don't know what to say. That's why I'm a little speechless. I'm like, I, I've never even heard of such a thing. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, regarding the building fund, so shifting gears into the building fund. In the month of October, we received $14,000 towards the building fund, which is not our highest month, uh, but we still rejoice in that. And uh, if, if you guys filled out, if you fill out the communication card for the, uh, for the giving for the downtown project, uh, please refer back to that. Give us a call. Give me an email. I'll be able to help you out any way I can. So uh, that's where we're at with the building fund right now. Regarding the plans, uh, last time I was up in front of you, we were at 60% complete. I'm happy to report we're at 75% complete, which means that our contractor can go out and actually get bids for all the work now. So we're very excited about that, Danny. Um, we're hoping that the architect will finish the plans here soon so we can actually submit those for the permits with the city. Um, so that's where we're at with that. Lastly, our bank loan. Again, last time I was with you guys, uh, we, we told you we were going to um, start the process to, uh, to get a loan. And uh, our request was going to be $2 million. So a big ask, but um, we, uh, we started the process, and we have a number of different lending institutions that we want to go to. On our first one, our first try, we went, submitted everything. They came back with a proposal for $2 million to loan us. So that's pretty cool uh, on our first try. Now, some of the terms aren't exactly what we want, but we'll work on them, and then we'll also shop, the, uh, shop it to, to some other lenders. So we're very pleased with how things are progressing. We're happy. Uh, thank you for all your faithful giving, and uh, we're just very excited about uh, moving forward. In terms of prayer, how you can be praying for us is uh, in the loan process. Pray for favorable rates, uh, for the right partner you know, with us to, to loan us the money. Um, the continued giving amongst the church, uh, that uh, the Lord will provide there. And then just with the city, when we, when we do submit to the city for permits, 
that it'll go really, really quick. So that's how you can pray for us. Danny? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Um, we're starting a new series today. It's just a very short series prior to the Christmas series that we're going to launch in December. It's called With. And uh, the series is a response, which I know a lot of you realize almost all of 2017 for us as a body has been a response, uh, especially pulpit time. And it's a response because so much has changed and so much has been happening that we just felt like we were going to just approach every month or every two months according to what was going on in the body. So that's what this series is. And the series um, basically is almost the third part of the two series that we did prior. We did a series called Visible. And we talked about what it meant to be in relationship with one another and see one another and connect with one another. And then we did this last series called Coram Deo, which was a response to that series of people saying, well, how do I have that relationship with God and connect with God in all aspects of God? Well, from those two series, uh, we began to hear from people in our church that they really wrestled with actually putting into action things from uh, the last two months. They saw them now that they needed to be more visible, that they needed to be more connected. They saw them that they needed to connect with all aspects of God and who he was in their life, but they didn't really know how to put that mechanism in place in order to transform their lives. And so it was, it was really amazing to me. It was almost like teaching somebody what a certain sickness is and then them realizing based on the new lessons, oh, I think I have that. That's sort of like what happened. They're like, oh, that's what it means to be in relationship? Oh, that's what it means to be connected to God? I'm not. And I was like, oh, really? And so we started asking other people around, and sure enough, we boiled it down to the number one complaint, the number one complaint or concern or issue, you pick your word that makes you happy, in our church right now is this. I wish I was more connected with other people or with God. We just did a series on each of these. Connection with other people and connection with God. And yet it's the number one complaint. And I think it's a response to people realizing what connection with other people and what connection with God is supposed to look like. Oh, I have that. Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not connected. And so I took a step back and I began to ask, okay, then what's the mechanism that we're missing? Why is it that people now see it, but don't actually feel like they can do it? With the holidays coming up, we're all going to have to sit in rooms with people we aren't connected to. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, how if you handpick the people in your life that you do life with, and then you, and then, and you said, these are the kinds of people I want to do life with, I want to have life with, I want to... It's kind of like the difference between people at your Super Bowl party and the difference between people at your Thanksgiving dinner. Like, these people get to be there. These people have to be there. Right? You're like, what am I going to do? I mean, Aunt Carol's Aunt Carol, and she always brings a guy. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. Anybody have an Aunt Carol? And like 25 Uncle Bobs, right? Yeah? Yeah. So, so the reality is you're going to have to put into practice some of the stuff that, we're, that we want to talk about, about actually being with people and using the presence of God to, to, to do that very thing. So what I want to do is I want to give us two points of launch in this series, two points of, con, uh, of, um, of connection in this series, two illustrations back to back, so that then I can talk to you about what these illustrations mean. So uh, the first one's a drama, and the second one's a video. And so engage with these, watch these, and then from there, I'm going to come back up, and we're going to launch our series out of these two illustrations. Okay? Okay, enjoy.
Wonderful. How are you? Okay. I mean, considering. Right. Uh, seems to be quite a crowd here today. You think this is more than usual or a normal sized crowd? I'm sorry, I have no idea. Uh, it's an interesting question. I'm Gina. <laughs> Bobby. Nice to meet you, Bobby. <laughs> Same here. All right, so quiet down, please. Quite a bit of baggage that you're carrying there, Gina. Oh, <laughs> this is nothing. I had a whole lot more to pack, but I ran out of time. Know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you realize that where we're going, we won't need anything. Oh, get out of here. This is great stuff. It's going to come in real handy. Just watch. Even here. Oh, especially here. <laughs> What could possibly be so important that you felt the need to bring it here? Oh, I can show you. Come on, everybody, gather around. Okay, so first, let's see what I got. My trophy for City Little League, most improved. <laughs> Shows I had, I cared about my health from early on. Let's see, oh, this one. This is a certificate of achievement. Best citizen, third grade. Shows I had a respect for authority, even then. Let's see, ooh, this is a good one. Letters. When I came in second in my class in college, I had offers from three major companies. Let's see, uh, ooh, a printout from the First Baptist Church to say I have been a member for 15 years. Salesman of the year. Salesman of the year. I'm talented too. Let's see. Oh, and the clincher. City Service League Humanitarian of the Year. <laughs> this is great stuff, don't you think? It's going to knock their socks off. Hey, don't you want to see my stuff? He's just jealous. This stuff isn't, you, you guys can't top this stuff, right? Um, Billy Sunderland. So, uh, what'd you bring? Me? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing? Whoa. Well, don't think that I'm going to loan you any of my stuff. I, I think I'm going to need it for myself. Uh, you know, it, just between us, I, I haven't exactly been a model citizen, if you know what I mean. I know with all this cool stuff, you'd never think so, but it's true. So uh, I sure hope it helps. I mean, I, I didn't plan this, you know. Yeah, true. So how'd you get here? Uh, car wreck. You? <laughs> Heart attack. Guess I should have listened to Doc Baker when he said to 
lay off the cheesecake, if you know what I mean. Hi. Bobby Hargrove? Ah, well, that's me. Gotta go. Oh, well, good luck. <laughs> You're gonna need it. You don't have anything to show for your life. See you around. So, uh, what's with all those names you're calling out? These are the names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Becky Price? Uh, when do you think you're going to call my name? Take a seat, please. Becky Price? Do you want to see any of my cool stuff? No need. Take a seat, please. Millie, Millie Durham? I've been playing Mario Brothers since I was five years old. Over 20 years of Mario Brothers. And just this week, just this week, I noticed that the clouds and the bushes were identical, except for their color. I noticed this and it was like my whole world got turned upside down. You've probably had this happen before, like the first time you noticed the arrow in the FedEx logo, or the number 11 in the Big Ten logo, or that big bear in the Toblerone mountain. Yeah, the chocolate bar. N not sure what bears have to do with chocolate. You know, there you go. Or maybe it's phrases. Like the first time you realize that toe the line is actually toe the line, like your foot. And one fail swoop, or what some people say one foul swoop, is actually one fell swoop. And free rain is actually free rain, like with a horse. See, life is tricky like that sometimes. Something that seems so common, we've been mixing up our whole lives. Sometimes it's something trivial, like Super Mario Brothers, and sometimes it's something really important, like love or grace. We miss it sometimes. It's not that we don't see it. Rather, when we see it clearly, it's as though we're realizing its fullness for the very first time. people uh, you already had seen every single thing inside that video uh, like how many people knew the clouds were the same on Mario anybody yeah okay like nine of you okay I didn't I admit that openly I didn't know that uh, what about the Toblerone bear no wow no, less people knew about the bear than they did about the Mario clouds what kind of audience is this uh, what about the 11 in the big yeah 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 uh, the, that video and the purpose of that video is to help us understand something that I hope happens to you today when it comes to today's topic. And that is this idea that once you see something, if you see it for how it's meant to be seen, you can never unsee it. Like, I don't think you'll ever be able to play Mario again and not recognize the clouds or have uh, Toblerone again and not be like, oh, look, there's a bear in the logo. Like, once you see something, how it's meant to be seen, it can't be unseen. And I want that to be what happens which, with today's topic, which is this topic, grace. Grace is probably the most well-marketed 
part of Christianity, I think, uh, in the world. When people uh, think of Christians, oftentimes, whether they say they have it or they don't have it, they understand at least that we claim to have grace. Amazing grace is our song. It belongs to us. Right? And so these are the kinds of things that, that people think they see. And in Scripture even, it's often uh, encouraged to realize that grace may not be what you think it is. As a matter of fact, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 uh, is this emphasis that Paul is making about this concept of grace to people, by the way, who are already believers. People that are engaged in actually doing the work of God, like we are in the church. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And you would think that this is a pretty basic concept, this idea that, like the play, you cannot work your way into heaven. That you are not saved because of your great duty, or your great job, or your great treasures. You are not saved because of anything, as a matter of fact. You are saved by grace. And yet grace is really something hard to see. As a matter of fact, I'm going to challenge the entire room that most of you, I'll bet nine out of ten of you actually don't fully see grace how it's intended to see, like the Toblerone bear. You see the chocolate, you just miss the bear. And so there's a card on your seat. Let's run it. There's a card on your seat called the with card, and it has numbers one through four. And I want you to take just about 30 seconds and write with a pen in that thing. You're not going to have to turn it in, so no one's going to see it. One through four, what words you think of when I use the phrase grace of God? When I use the phrase grace of God, what are the four first words that you think of when I use the phrase grace of God? What words come to your mind, what actions, what concepts, whatever it is, come to your mind when you hear the phrase grace of God? Not that it's a race, but who finished first? Yeah? Okay, good. Continue writing. John Bevere, just recently, uh, who, who's a, a pastor, a national pastor, uh, did a, a, a survey of uh, thousands of Christian evangelicals, and he did the survey that you're doing right now. He gave them uh, some spots on a piece of paper, and he said, when I say the phrase grace of God, what are the top three or four words that come to mind that you've been taught grace are and that, that the grace of God exemplifies? These are the four primary words that most Christians use when they think of the grace of God. Forgiveness, salvation, God's love, and unmerited favor. How many people got all four? Yeah, yeah. How many people got at least three out of the four? Yeah, okay, okay. Now, here's what's so profound about this. That for most of us as Christians, we filter the grace of God through this. And we filter the grace of God through this idea. And naturally, this idea leads us to believe something we may not even realize that we believe. But this is critical for you to understand because in order for you to be with God, and you're going to find out in a moment, and also to be with other people, you actually have to have not the misconstrued idea, but the, the true version of what grace is in order to have healthy relationship both spiritually and relationally. And so let's unpack this a little bit. 
For those of us in the room, and by the way, I got three out of the four when I took the test. So don't feel bad. Three out of the four I wrote down that I figured that's what the grace of God has, ha, ha, means. And once I realized uh, this stuff that I'm about to show you, it really tweaked. Or now I can see and not unsee what grace really is. This is what one theologian wrote about those of us in the room that filter grace through this filter. He said this. When we reduce the grace of God to mean merely and only forgiveness of sin, salvation, or love, we position ourselves to live in an unending cycle of sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness. Without even realizing it, very subtly, when we reduce the grace of God to mean only these things, our identity begins to change. We begin to live in a I sin, he forgives, I sin, he forgives kind of relationship. Or to put it more bluntly, I'll do my job, and God, you do yours. This is what Dallas Willard actually calls miserable sinner theology. <laughs> miserable sinner theology. And yes, it's the most marketed version of grace in our, in our faith. We teach people that you can come to God and he accepts you how you are. It's just true. He loves you and he wants to save you because of his love for you, which is true. God died on the cross and he proclaimed you worthy if you through faith believe in him, which is true. And then we can, can uh, give our lives to God, right? We confess our sins. And through that experience, we realize that we are supposed to now be new people. And then we live saved. What does that mean? Well, we live saved. According to the Bible, to live saved means we are transformed and constantly transforming. We are getting better every single day, every single year. Like a seed planted in the ground with some water and some sun, every day grows just a little bit, right? Or at least every week. Now, there might be seasons where that seed goes away because the snow comes. But I'll tell you what, the next year it's even bigger and bolder. This is supposed to be our faith. And yet it's not true. Most of us get saved. We get up to a place in our lives where we finally cut off the things that really damage us. We accept who Jesus is. And then we say, now what? And someone says, well, now you got to live by grace, which is true. What does that mean, live by grace? It means every time you mess up, you go confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you ask for his forgiveness. And then he, through his unmerited favor and love, makes up the difference. Oh, awesome. Living my life. This is my version of living my life, right? I mess up. I go, man, I really messed up today. I confess with my mouth that I messed up. I experience what I feel is the grace of God in my life as he forgives me, which is why grace is so often forgiveness, salvation, and love. And then I go, great, I'm going to do different tomorrow. And then I go, and I don't do different tomorrow because why do I have to? I know God's grace is unending and everlasting. I know that no matter how bad I mess up, God's grace is going to love in my life, going to love me inside my life. Now, it may cause me consequences in my relationship, and so that will drive me to do better. I do want to do better in my marriage, and I do want to be a better dad because I don't want to get a divorce, and I want my kids to talk to me. So those are real consequences, but when it comes to God himself, I don't really know about this whole grace thing because, frankly, it basically feels like no matter how much debt I get into at the casino at the end of the night, God comes out with his big bankroll and says, how much debt did Danny get into tonight? Oh, he's 25000 in debt. Well, not tonight. He's not. Grace. I'm like, woo! See you tomorrow. And I walk in the next day excited to play again. 
But no matter how much debt I get into, there's really no consequences because the grace of God covers my, my end game, covers where I'm in the black or in the red at the end of the day, and I leave in the black always refreshed and renewed, ready for another Sunday morning. Sleep with who I want, drink what I want, snort what I want, watch what I want, talk how I want, and act how I want. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is that I confess with my mouth that God will forgive me, and he rolls me on to the next day. Anybody want to raise their hand that they're those people? Yeah. Me too. Right? There's about six of us. Like, that's me! That's me! And it is! Which is why the little verse that Paul says that we've all just kind of been sprinkled with, hey man, that's not how it works, is so very important. We live in a miserable sinner kind of theology. And it is true that God does forgive our sins and there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from him. But here's my question. Because we believe in a church built on scripture and spirit, which means when we come up against these things, the only thing we can do is respond first to the spirit, like we are right now, like I feel deeply in the room we are right now. That's why there's very little talking and hardly anybody moving, because people are like, okay, he either read my diary or someone emailed him. (laughs) I am so uncomfortable right now, right? And all that's really happening is Danny is working on his own stuff in front of you, and guess what? We all have got the same stuff. Okay, that's the spirit. So what do we do with that? This is what we do. We turn to scripture and we go, so wait a minute, if that's not what grace is, if grace is not just being able to cash in at the end of the day all my debt, then what is it? How many people wrote down the word empowerment on their card? Not one single person. Last service we had two people. Oh, oh, one person, sorry. So sorry, one person wrote down the word empowerment. Actually, it's been one person I think in each service. In the study, in the survey, listen, in the survey that John Bevere did, less than 2% of Christians, when asked about the grace of God, wrote down the word empowerment. And here's why that's so important, because that's exactly what the Bible says it is. And not just once, everywhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, some versions say through my power, is made perfect in weakness. 2 Peter 12, in the first part of verse 3, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power through grace, have granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What does this mean? Well, when verses like this are are put forth, the best thing to do is not turn to a preacher or a podcast. It's to turn to another verse. Okay? Scripture validates Scripture. That's how it works. It's all one big harmony. It's all one big song. And so I love this one in Hebrews when the writer says this about grace. Wherefore, and this is straight up King James Version for those of you who think I'm being picky about my, my translations. Yeah, I've received those emails. So here's the King James Version for you. Email me about this. Wherefore, or therefore, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Okay, so it's talking about an unshakable kingdom, a powerful kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So what it's in essence saying is that the grace of God is supposed to 
teach us how to say no to ungodliness and then, listen to this, give us power to live sensible and upright lives in our present age. Look at the Hebrews 12 again. Wherefore, we are receiving a kingdom. God is bringing his kingdom to earth. He wants to be here with you now. Stop living for heaven. Live for today. The kingdom of heaven is here. The Holy Spirit is here. God is revealing himself daily by the millisecond to thousands of people. And you can be a part of that or you can be against it, but you cannot be in the middle. So side note, it's a whole other sermon, but that's not the point. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. Listen to what the grace of God does. It trains you. The grace of God is supposed to train you. Training sucks. Like you're sore, you're tired, you're beat up, you're exhausted, right? You have that one day where you just feel super bloated, right? Yeah, you can tell I've been doing some training. You're like, what is happening to me, right? You're just so overwhelmed with your own body's brokenness because you're being trained. This is what grace is supposed to do. It's supposed to train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and then it's supposed to teach you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this, this, this present age. Isn't that an unbelievable description of grace that none of us in the room brought into the room? Pure Holy Spirit, pure scripture, straight up loving truth. This is what grace is supposed to do in your life and mine. The grace of God is supposed to rip the things of this world away from us and it's supposed to do it in a powerful way. This should be one of the most scariest realizations you ever see in your life. Like the Toblerone bear. You're like, I love chocolate. <gasps> bear! <laughs> Maybe like real bear. Right? <laughs> like, like grace is like, I love grace. <gasps> like you should see it. Like, oh, that, that's what grace means? John Piper said about this realization we're talking about right now. The life-changing realization the life-changing realization that this true understanding of grace brings is at first devastating and then liberating. <laughs> Welcome to the club. If you're not devastated by this truth, then you don't see it yet. But don't worry, there's still more sermon to go. If you are not devastated by this truth, then you don't see it yet. And you know what? I think it's because it's a hard thing to really see. It requires a lot of self-awareness. It requires a deep willingness to really rest inside yourself and who you are. I've been sharing with multiple services, and I think next year we'll share even more, that about a year and a half or two years ago or so, I put myself in, uh, in an office with a counselor once a week, or what some of you might call a therapist. And there was a little bit of edge about me sharing that with the church, like, who wants to go listen to a pastor who's in a therapist? And I'm telling you right now, you should not listen to a pastor who doesn't have a therapist. Okay, that, that's going to be my new standard. All the pastors at Kesses are getting therapists. Therapists for you, therapists for you, therapists for everybody. Uh, and here's why. Because it isn't about the work of the therapist. It's about the willingness to go sit for an hour and talk through your stuff. The willingness to really wrestle with what are you aware of and what are you not aware of. Here's something I learned just recently. We'll put up the second diagram. I just learned this recently. When it comes to being with people and when it comes to grace and adding grace to your life and really seeing grace, this is what I think you need to understand for today. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about uh, truth, and the last week we're going to talk about love. So these principles 
inside this series are going to hopefully teach you how to be better connected with God and how to be better connected with each other. But it's all going to have to start with your willingness to recognize that there's a distance between you and God. And it's not just salvation, and it's not just forgiveness, and it's not just scripture, and it's not just worship, and it's not just Danny's sermons. It's a true relational gap, and the thing that is supposed to fill it is this concept of grace. In scripture, we see this over and over. You're learning this right now. You're learning through scripture that we are to see that God's grace is bestowed upon us, but that God's grace is supposed to not just be something we talk about or something we receive. It's actually supposed to be the power for us to change. Once you can see that there's power for you to change, once you recognize and you're self-aware with the distance between you and God, it's like that beautiful verse that uh, the psalmist says, or Isaiah says, Though I was red as crimson, you made me as white as freshly fallen snow. Till you recognize you're red as crimson, then what you're going to do is walk around thinking your dirty snow matters and judging everybody else as crimson, when the reality is there's not a soul in the room that's not red as crimson. Not one. Not one. Once you recognize that, then suddenly you begin to see people through grace eyes, and suddenly you become a safe person. And the Spirit of God through grace teaches you and prompts you to talk and have relationship and be safe. And so you become more aware of each other. And suddenly you become with God through grace and with each other through safety, which is also grace. And suddenly you become a person that has real life deep relationships. But could you own, maybe, especially those of you who are hardcore, um, you're hardcore, your family knows when you show up to Thanksgiving that you stand for something. You represent something. You're not part of their garbage and their drama. Okay? Some of you can't relate. Some of us can. You don't want to be part of that stuff. Do you know what that makes me? Because I'm not very graceful, because I'm not very gracious. It makes me unsafe. It makes me judgmental. It makes me arrogant, and it makes me basically exactly what they thought I'd be, which is religious and upright and selfish. This all came out inside my sessions, <laughs> which is why it's not happening to you. Because when you can suddenly realize why you do what you do, then you can suddenly connect it all the way back to this God who made you who you are, and suddenly you can just awaken with a difference. Do you know how excited I am for this Thanksgiving? To love some hard-to-love people? How excited I am this Thanksgiving? And not just Thanksgiving, just seasonally, just in my life. Love people that maybe I avoid because I'm not sure they... They really get what I'm about, and I'm about God, and I'm about holy things, and I'm about developing, and it feels like you're just about your same habits and your same stuff, and so what's the point of having a relationship? <laughs> I don't think there's anything Jesus about what I just said. Not a thing. There's not an ounce of Jesus in that. That is purely me not understanding God's grace upon my own life, and so because of that, not being safe for other people. It's me being, I'm pretty sure scripture calls it blind to how this world works and how God wants to work. Let me show you in scripture a few different people who understood this clearly and it impacted their lives forever. Like I hope I'm beginning to and I hope you do as well. I hope you see it and then can't unsee it. In our economy right now, uh, when someone falls from favor, uh, we call them disgraced, right? We call them people who are outside of favor. They are they no longer contributing to society or they made a mistake that's so big that they can no longer be on the inside inner circle of health and they're on the outside. There's multiple people in the Bible that would have been considered this. Probably one of the most famous ones that most of us would know of would be somebody like Moses. 
Moses, at 80 years old, in, at 40 years old, sorry, leaves Egypt as a murderer, as a man who fell out of society. He's a, he's a vagabond. He's homeless. He's an incredible need. He's absolutely broken. He's overcome with his passions, right, because he murdered a man based on stuff inside his story. Moses needed the therapist. Okay, that's really what I'm trying to say here. He had stuff inside his story that he just could not work out. And so suddenly he sees an Egyptian beating the Hebrew and he snaps. Boom! And he defends the Egyptian because of the stuff inside his story. And then the Egyptian's like, oh, now you're killing people? Right? And the, and the Hebrew's like, we're telling everybody. And so he runs away. I mean, just complete outcast, utterly disgraced. And for 40 years does nothing but lead sheep. No more leading, no more developing people, no more friendships, relationships. He has a wife, some kids, a father-in-law. That's all we know. 40 years he spends in the desert. And then the grace of God comes to meet him through a burning bush. And he says to him, hey, Moses, I'm going to do something really powerful in your life. I'm going to use you to lead people. I'm going to use you, think about this, to save people. Do you know how triggering that word save would have been for Moses, who the last time he tried to save somebody resulted in murder? Do you know how, like, oh, God, you, <laughs> I think you might have the wrong person there, fiery bush. I don't think you understand who I am. And he actually says that just very subtly in his response, Exodus 3, 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What he's saying to God is this. He's saying the same thing all disgraced people say, all humiliated people say, all people who feel like they're not living the lives they should. Don't you know me? Don't you know who I am? I'm the guy that murdered. I'm the guy that got out, that cast it out of society. I'm, I'm disgraced. Don't you know me? And what I love about this passage, and I hope you hear it, because this is the grace of God being poured into Moses' life. God doesn't even address him. God simply says, but I'll be with you. God says, through his grace, I know exactly who you are. I know every single mistake that you've made in this room. God knows every single poor choice, every scar, every secret, every hidden thing that keeps me all tied up inside. He knows it all. But when God asks me or asks you to step out and live the life he wants you to live, this transformed life that salvation, forgiveness, and love are supposed to bring, do you know what the question he wants you to ask? Not, do you know me? The question he wants us to ask is, do I know you? See, it's the wrong question that Moses asked. Don't you know who I am? And God's like, Moses, wait, that's the wrong question, bro. Don't you know who I am? I'm God. I'm going with you. Yes, I know who you are, but I'm going with you. I'm doing this thing, and I'm using your disgraced life to accomplish it. And your murder will be turned into salvation. Your humility will be turned into honor. Okay? Your, your exile will be turned into exodus. I can keep going. This is what I do. Whatever it is that you did in disgrace, God, through his grace and through the power of his promises, transforms you. See this. Get ready. This is what grace does. It empowers. It's not scripture that drove Moses to go back to Egypt. 
It's not God's love that drove Moses to go back to Egypt. It's not a song or a well-spoken sermon. It's not even the fiery bush. It's the fact that Moses said, don't you know who I am? And God said, I sure do. And it's the empowerment of that love and salvation and forgiveness through grace that caused Moses to dust off his robes, pick up his staff and say, then I'm going to do it. See, this is what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about empowering people who are disgraced. But first, we have to realize we are disgraced ourselves and need that empowerment. We preach love, we preach forgiveness, we preach scripture, we preach community. But until we preach and understand and see the unseen grace, until it is devastating to our lives and then liberating to our souls, we will never accomplish these things that God has set for us to accomplish. It will never happen. We will just be smart people in a room singing to God and, and, and cycling the same exact section of Christians all around Clark County that just bounce from whoever's new and cool and hip. It'll just be the same Eddie. It'll begin to smell bad like Eddied water does. It'll get that weird green foam. Right? Some of you already are the weird green foam. It's like your fifth church in five years. Right? You're like, man, I, I got to change some stuff, you know, because I don't think spiritually I smell so good. You, you just, you aren't called. You're just responding. There's so many of us who do that because we don't understand that grace is empowerment to change. And I can go on. Think about Peter. Peter, who God said, I'm going to build my church upon you. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the foundation. You're going to be the unshakable. You're going to be the unmovable. You're going to be a fisher of men. Boom, boom, boom. Three times Peter denies and leaves in more disgrace than maybe any other human who's ever lived. I mean, you flunk out of messianic seminary. It doesn't get a lot better than, that's that's just, that's it. Like, who was your prof? Jesus. Oh, man. And you denied him three times? Yeah. Well, you can't lead anybody. You can't go to church. You might as well just go back and do what you did before. Just go fish, man. And he's like, well, I was supposed to be a fisher of men. I was supposed to be a stone, an immovable stone. I was, I, was, I was the rock. And this little girl came up to me and said, aren't you with him? And as I saw them beating him, I, my red is crimson. Fear poured out. And I disgrace myself by saying no three times. And so he's fishing for a few nights on the lake. And they see the glow of a campfire. And John, who's a little better connected, a little more emotionally aware, I think, said, I'm pretty sure that's Jesus. And Peter, Peter who knew if Jesus was willing to come to the camp shore, campfire, he might be willing to talk to me. He might be willing to take me back. Peter puts his clothes on, puts them on, his robes on, jumps in the water. Every stroke, he's swimming, wondering how the Messiah will respond, and he finally gets up soaking wet, and there he is cooking breakfast. (laughs) He's going to give sustenance to the man who couldn't even admit he knew him. And he feeds them all, and then through the campfire, as the dawn breaks, he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is devastated, because that's how grace feels. And he goes, you know that I love you. And they have a few more bites and a few more disciples leave because it's super awkward. Because <laughs> they know what's coming next. It's three denials. Chances are it's going to be three questions. Second question, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Peter can barely look up at this point, but he does anyways. Jesus says, do you love me? He says, 
you know that I love you. His heart is about broken in half at this point. And then finally, Jesus, one last time, says, Peter, and I like to imagine he takes his hands. I like to imagine this time it's different. And he looks at him and he smiles because he already knows the answer and he wants Peter to know I already know the answer because, Peter, I already know you because I knew Moses too. It was me in the bush, by the way. Peter, it was me. Peter, do you love me? And Peter knows, yeah, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep, build my church, fish for those men, be the person I told you to be. It's not the saving, it's not the cross of Jesus that transformed Peter. It's not. It's not the scripture. He knew it. It's not the songs. It's not even time with Jesus. It was the grace of God upon his life proclaiming, I know you don't deserve this, but I believe in you anyways. This transformed Peter, and he was never the same again. If we want to learn to be with God and with other people, we have to first be willing to be devastated by what real grace is and see the unseen and feel the power of God saying to you, I want 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 you. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I love you, I forgive you. Let's go, stop what you're doing, come with me. It's time And through that power and through that grace, your life and my life and our church will be forever changed. And here's the part that's so incredible. And I'll I'll close with this as the worship team comes out. This is the part that's so incredible. If you can do this, this will be what people in the community notice. If you can be a person who lives through the power of the transformational grace of God and then bestow that grace upon other people in our community, walking down our sidewalks or our hallways or at work or sleeping in the same bed with us or eating dinner with us or showing up at Thanksgiving and Christmas, if we can be people who bring forth that transformational grace, that, like Peter, like Moses, like Paul, like person after person after person, disgraced life after disgraced life after disgraced life will be changed because we were first changed and that's how we develop and that's how we grow and that's how we enter these holidays and that's how we are with God and that's how we are with each other because we're tired of the same game and we're tired of the same gamut and we just want to move through this life where the Holy Spirit leads us. We want to move through this life transformed beings, transformed people, willing to face the scariness of what we really are and be honest with God as we say, don't you know who I am? And he says, yes, but don't you know me? Don't you know me, Danny? I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to make this happen. And all I need you to do is accept my grace and its transforming power in your life. Church, if you could do this, your whole family would change. If you could do this, your whole purpose would change. If you could do this, we would be new people. We would be, as Scripture says, new creations. And the world around us would notice and want to know the God we serve. And so, they'd want to be with us and with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to experience the power of your grace. 
Thank you for this opportunity to to recognize that no matter the choices we've made, because of who you are, we can be transformed. We can be saved and forgiven and loved, but Lord, we can also be, through the power of your grace, transformed into new creations, into new people. God, we just surrender anything else in this world that would keep us from that path. Walk with us, Lord. Guide us, Lord. Fill us, God. Forgive us. Renew us and restore us. We are your children, and you are our hope. We proclaim you worthy, Lord. We proclaim you powerful. We lift this song to you now.